You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to episode number 82 of Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. Audition, side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hello, dreamers. Thank you so much for listening to Living the Dream. I'm your host, Rory O'Malley. And this is a very special episode because it's going to be the last one for a little while. And that's sad, but it's also really exciting because I've been asked to take over hosting duties of another podcast, another theater podcast called Unscripted that is produced by the Geffen Playhouse here in Los Angeles and is uh, put out into the world by Podcast One, which is a major podcast network. And that's great news for a couple of reasons. First of all, I wasn't sure how much longer I could keep doing this podcast on my own now that I'm a dad. Uh, I've been able to continue it through jobs and a crazy schedule. However, being a parent is not just taking up all my time. I want to give it all my time. Any extra amount of time I have is going to go to this baby and um, I'm just really enjoying that, this this newborn in my house. So I'm so excited that this has come about by talking with the Geffen and, and Podcast One, that they have this podcast, that they're looking for a host, and it's pretty much in line with what, we, what we've been doing here on Living the Dream. So I'm going to be hosting that podcast, and we'll continue to have great guests from the theater world. I kind of think of it as the intersection of of Broadway and Hollywood because, of course, we're in Los Angeles, so so many of the people doing theater out here or speaking to me in Los Angeles are also in the TV and film arena as well. So it's kind of a, a cross-section of, of, of TV, film, and theater. And I could not be more honored to take over hosting duties with uh, and work with a great place like the Geffen Playhouse and Podcast One. So we have already done an episode, and uh, it will be coming out next week. Uh, I believe Wednesday, the 23rd, January 23rd. Don't hold me to that, but I'll let you know through this podcast when to switch over. So what I want you to do is go to Unscripted. However you're listening to this is how you can listen to the new podcast. And I want you to subscribe to the Geffen Playhouse's Unscripted podcast which will now be hosted by me. And we'll have a lot of these great conversations and I will be able to, I think, put out even more over the long run because I'm going to have a producing partner and a team and I'm just so grateful. Doing this has taken a lot of work. Every bit of it has been worthwhile and great, but getting to have a team is something that I'm going to be really really grateful for and I won't take for granted for a second. So uh, it's great news. It's definitely um, a little bittersweet because doing this in my home on my garage band has definitely been one of the most, I don't know, just having a conversation with you (laughs) from my home and inviting people over, going to their houses. You know, it's very much a mom and pop operation we got going on here. Well, at least a pop and pop <laughs> operation. And my husband has put up with a lot of recording sessions in the middle of the night and me trying to figure out everything technically. Anyway, I'm going on and on, um, but I'm really grateful for all of you listening to this podcast. And you're the reason that I'm going to be able to have this great opportunity. So this one is going to be put on hiatus. I don't think you should unsubscribe from it because I'm going to maybe be putting out messages or doing episodes here and there that are a little more specific to the ups and downs of the business. And, and uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes over there with Unscripted. But I could not be more excited and thrilled. So I hope you join me over there. Uh, my guest uh, for Living the Dream today is the great... Julia Murney, who I've wanted to have on for a long time. I'm so glad she was able to talk with me. 
We reconnected a lot over the fall because she was so helpful during the Belt the Vote campaign, getting people registered to vote in the Broadway community. And she is a powerhouse. She is such an amazing performer, an incredible singer. And she has been around. She is. She grew up in New York. And she's a New Yorker through and through. So she knows that town inside and out. And she has had such great success. And she has a lot of wisdom to impart on you. And and I certainly learned a lot in talking with her. And uh, she still has just a great attitude, which I really, really appreciate. Here is my conversation with Julia Murney. I hope that you join me for my next conversation, which will be on the Unscripted Podcast with the Geffen Playhouse. Good, good. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. We've had... um, so flattered to be here. Of course, of course. We got to reconnect over the fall because you were so helpful and instrumental in everything that we were doing with Belt the Vote, the voter registration campaign and theater community. You were amazing. I think it worked well, too. Yes. It felt like it worked pretty well. Especially People voted. They voted. They showed up. And I think that the community really responded all across the country. And and uh, we're going to yeah. do an even better job in 2020. Exactly. I just I hope that people like don't have the reaction of, well, my candidate didn't win. So that's it. I'm not voting now. Yeah, no, it's it, that's the like, it, that's our challenge for next time. Exactly. It never ends. The work never ends. As yeah. soon as you rest on your laurels, you realize that there are people who are not sharing your same interests who are working harder. So you have to bust your butt. That's funny. What is what is what is that just like? That's just like something else. Yeah. Oh, show business. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Interesting. Um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation because I feel like every time I've had a conversation with you, whether it's about the business or anything in life, you're very forthcoming, honest, and real. And that's what I look for in these conversations. But let's start at the beginning with you because I don't know your entire story. Where did you grow up and how did you get started in theater? I grew up in New York City. I am one of those odd people who grew up in Manhattan. Right. Um, and my father is an actor. And all of, mostly all of my fr- parents' friends were actors. And so I was around it, although I never performed. I mean, I was in like the school play of uh, Hansel and Gretel. I was a gingerbread man or something like that. Right. But um, the schools that I went to didn't do shows or anything, but I got into choir in junior high. And that that's when I started singing. Wow. And um, And I knew... I knew musicals. I knew some musicals, uh, but I didn't, I wasn't like an aficionado by, by right. any stretch. But uh, then I, my freshman, the summer after my freshman year in high school, my parents forced me to go to summer camp huh. under my very loud protestations. Um, because they were just basically like, you can't just hang out in the city again in the summer. You have to go to camp. Right. And I did not want to go. Right. Why did I not want to go? I don't know. Because I was being annoying. Did you, you know, have your pick? Annoying teenager. Did you have your pick and, of what camp you would go to? Well, no. What happened was basically they um, they got brochures from most of the um, arts-minded camps in the Northeast. And I remember the brochures would come in. And I would read them and I would be like, yeah, that's great, but I'm not going to camp. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Little witch. And, um, and then they more or less put them in a hat and picked one. And that's where I was forced to go. Wow. And it was a camp called Stage Door Manor mm-hmm. that was uh, very, very, I mean, it's a theater camp. Yeah. And the majority of campers who went there, um, they didn't just know Annie like I did. They knew everything. It's a really intense camp. You are in rehearsal all the time or you're doing a show or you're doing class. And um, I did my first show there. It was applause. 
I was, you know, fourth gypsy from the left. Oh, my God. It was directed by Mark Sachs, who is a big casting director now. Oh, in New York my City God. For CBS. Yeah. Stage Door yep. Manor. A lot of people have come out of Stage Door Manor. Yes. And I thought it was the most fun thing. And again, I had been around theater because of my dad and all of his friends. Right. Um, but this was the first time I had been in a show show. We had done choir competitions and stuff like that, which I, I definitely enjoyed. But I wasn't in any kind of a, this is what I want to do with my life uh, thing. Right. And then I went to two summers at Stage Door, wherein uh, I played appropriate roles such as Hanyak in Chicago. <laughs> Uh-huh. Sure. Uh the next which w- uh, and then the next summer I was Mazeppa in Gypsy. Ooh. And uh Anita in West Side Story. Okay. Okay. Well, now we're yeah. really getting somewhere. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's where I started doing. And then I went to Syracuse University for musical theater. Wow. Um, so, so you were in Stage Door Manor. Yeah. You were that, but that was that during high school, or was that during junior high? Yes, that okay. was during high school. That was during high school. It okay. was during high school. I went, I went my my freshman and sophomore summers of high school, and then my junior summer, I went to uh, the Carnegie Mellon summer program. <gasps> nice, nice. And so, th- is that when you decided you're like, yes. this is what I want to do at, in college? Was it, or was it already like yeah. set in stone? No, it definitely was not set in stone, but I, (laughs) there was a little bit of a lazy river about it because I wasn't, I was a good student. I mean, I was good. I was terrible in math and science, but I was very good in English and history and writing, but I didn't, nothing had caught on like a passion. Right. And, uh, and, oh, sorry, the dogs. No worries. We love pets Uh, on living the dream. Dizzy, inappropriate. <laughs> we like guard dogs. Don't you stop barking? Yeah, exactly. I, there's, I have one with me right now who's a real talker, and the other one sometimes jumps on in a very like me too, me too. Right. Um. Uh. Oh, but I, I feel like if my dad was a pharmacist, right. and my family knew pharmacies, maybe I would have become a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. But in that sort of, I guess I'll do that way. And that's kind of how I fell into acting a little bit. Because yeah. I was like, I guess I could do that. I mean, uh, when, especially when you're growing up in New York would, City and it's all around you. I mean, I can imagine if you had the set of but pipes it also, that you What's have. weird about it is it is all around you, but there's also no community theater. Right. There is no, th- that, that, those opportunities to be a, uh, you know, a child in Christmas Carol and all that kind of stuff. The opportunities are you audition and get into like the Nutcracker at ABT every year. Or right. like it's it, it's all on a level that you kind of want to need to be focused on it. Yeah, and I wasn't right. Um, so that's where Stage Door really ch- changed my life because I was like, oh, well, this is fun. <laughs> so when you went to college, but I wasn't. Was, sorry, yeah, when you went ahead. to college and you were surrounded by that and it was an, in, in, but it's a, it's a great university overall. Did you get to participate in other classes or was it very oh, conservatory yes. style? Well, no, it was. And that was the thing that I learned when I went to Carnegie Mellon for the summer. Yeah. That, um, it, cause a lot of the student, not a lot, but some students who are at the program stay for the summer and they, they teach or whatever they, you know, and, um, and I remember talking to the one of them and she said point blank, oh yeah, I don't know anyone who, who's, who's outside of the drama department because yeah. they're really conservatory based. And I, something clicked in my head about that. And I was like, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that. Yeah. And I knew I want also growing up in New York, I, for whatever reason I craved, I wanted a university experience. Sure. Where we had grass and trees and a quad and sports teams. Yeah. Because my high school, I went to what is now known as LaGuardia School of the Arts. Uh, so I went to a, it's the f- school the movie Fame is right. based on. And so I went to that school. I was a voice major. So it was already very arts centric. Right. Um, 
and I just, I knew I wanted to, didn't want to be completely surrounded by carny folk. Right. And Hmm. just for the, um, the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Diversity of it all. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, and certainly like my first two years at college, my roommates were not theater majors. My, I, I had season tickets to football and basketball and lacrosse and, um, and I would get teased by my sort of core group of friends up at my dorm. If I would come home and be like, I'm so tired. They're like, Oh, did you have a long day? Did you have to tap dance in the rain? Yeah. And there was a little part of me that felt like that, like took on their, their shame. And then another part of me was like, would you like to go to a class at eight in the morning where yeah. then you would have to lie on the floor and not fall asleep? Yes. Good luck. Yeah. Cause we have to like, you know, yeah. But, um, yeah. So that's, uh, so you had a, you had a real diverse education, not just in yeah. what the classes were, but the people that you were surrounded by. And especially for somebody yes. who grew up in New York city, who's going to be in that world. And you probably knew you were going back to New York city when you were graduating. Mm-hmm. It was a, completely different experience. What, what did New York yeah. city feel like though, once you graduated and you had this whole new set of tools as a, as a performer? Um, well, well, I cheated because I, in, with my parents uh-huh. and, and I lived with them for almost 10 years. Oh, that's great. Had a very large apartment oh. and they were very kind and never charged me rent. It's amazing. And, um, uh, and so, so the part, I never had, um, the experience in New York of getting here for the first time and having, and either being, um, like sort of swept away by the lights and the buzz and the, the ferocity of it. I right. never had that because I always lived here. Right. But I also never had, how do I live here? Yeah. Where? where do I live? What do you, I, like, I just moved in with my parents. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's and, the amount of time that you saved. <laughs> you know, that took me almost a decade I, to figure yeah. out how to live in a major city, you know, whether it was New York city or Los Angeles, you just knew that was, that's how you lived. It was probably harder for you to figure out how to live in Syracuse. <laughs> it's one of the, it's one of the things like when I teach that I, if we get into that kind of a topic, yeah. With, if they're if I'm dealing with seniors and they're they're about to move to New York, that I don't quite know how to help them. I'm like, I can, you can text me anytime if you need to know like what train goes where. I'll help you. <laughs> yeah. But a, a lot of that other stuff is a little foreign to yeah. me. Um, but did the business yeah, I mean, feel like when you also- obviously you also had your 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 father and your family giving you guidance to start a career? But when you went out into audition rooms and all of a sudden it's not just stage door manner. It's trying to be a professional. Did you feel like everything had changed or were you, did you have the truth be told? I was never. And I mean, to this day, some often I'm not the most confident person Uh in my own capabilities, not in my own capabilities. That's not true, but just that, that anything will happen. Right. I guess <laughs> you don't have expectations. And, um, no. And I, I know so many people who come from the land of, I always knew I wanted to do this and I never gave up. And I knew I'm like, wow, what is that like? Right. That's amazing. Uh, I, and I was more like, I guess I'll do this and maybe it'll work out. And, you know, and this is, this business is not for the weak of heart and it is not for, um, I, I think confidence can serve you in an extraordinary way. Well, we all get you through. We all have at least a basic level of confidence because if we didn't, we would have been sh- we would have been right. running for the hills long room, ago. Right? And we say exactly, and to to walk in a room and basically say, "Pick me." Yeah, you have some sort of confidence. Yeah. Um. Well, so, it's yeah, dealing with rejection. I Dealing with rejection on yes. a regular basis, yes. you become a professional at dealing with rejection. I feel like that's more of our job than even performing sometimes because we certainly have to well, I become think good at that. What we do for a job is 
yeah, we audition and we deal with rejection. That's what our career is. Right. And and sometimes we get to do shows or <laughs> TV or movies. Our reward for for dealing with the rejection. And I also feel that way about when you, if you get lucky enough to have a job that pays really well, you're not necessarily getting paid for that job. You're getting paid for all of the stuff that you did for $5. Right. And it's like a weird cumulative effect. Yeah. And um, it's it's funny because, you know, so much. Because it's just as hard. Yes. Right. I mean, it's just as hard to do, uh, uh, to put up a show at a community theater as it is at the Richard Rogers on Broadway. I mean, they're different, but it's the same basic thing. Right. And, and then when you're, if you happen to get into anything that has a long run, that's something you can't even, um, you can't train for that in college. I think we did maybe two weekends of shows and so that how, was it. How when you when you came and to your in first stock, you do when you came to your first long run of a show, how did you cope with the monotony and the repetition? What are your tricks? How do you stay engaged? Hmm. Well, the longest run I've ever done was Wicked, uh-huh. which was a year and a half. And uh and because I was older, I wasn't a kid. I was aware of the pitfalls of what could happen. Right. Um, sometimes, I mean, I remember one of, uh, one of the men who played the wizard with me and I had several of them um, and they were all so wonderful. And there was one of them who was awesome, but his choices were frozen and that was it. Right. He, I could have lit myself on fire. <laughs> on stage and he still would have delivered his lines the same way. Right. Which on the one hand, like he never messed up. He was so solid. And on the other hand, sometimes I wanted to scream and be like, please, please, please play with me for a second. Cause yeah. I'm losing my mind. Yeah. And I do remember, um, there was a guy in the ensemble, uh, who I saw one day, like uh, on the street and then, Oh, no, it was an audition, actually. I was at a voiceover audition. He was at a commercial audition. And then um, that night at the show, he was out. He wasn't in the show. And when I saw him the next day, I said, hey, what happened to you? I saw you yesterday afternoon. Then you weren't in the show. He, and he said, I had a little bit of a nervous meltdown. Hmm. And I said, why? What happened? And he went, my whole, and he was younger. Yeah. He said, my whole life, I have I have wanted to be in a Broadway show. This has been my dream. And now I'm in one. And now I said, and now it's a job. Mm. I said, yes. And he just, I think sometimes that monotony can overwhelm you. Yeah. I think there are certain shows. I remember my, my ex-boyfriend was in a chorus line and I remember him telling me that something like three week, three months rather into his run, he felt like he was going crazy and he went into stage management and he was like, I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I need a, a day off. I'm not sure. And they're like, you've been here about three months. Right. And he said, yes. They're like, yes, that's right on time. Because in that show, because they're standing on the line Ugh. literally yeah, for so much of the show that like your brain starts to freak out. Yeah. I can't and, even imagine doing that show think, eight times a week. Exactly. I th- I think that there is um, certainly something to uh, every once in a while. I know in my longer runs, I have to say a line in a completely different manner than I normally say it. And as long as it's not a line that's going to mess up the actual uh, trajectory of the show, because it might be something that like you say it a different way for the sake of saying it and you're like, nope, that doesn't work at all. We're right. going to go back to the other way. Yeah. But just to, so you're not, you don't become an automaton. Right. You and, don't feel like you're um, in Westworld. You're not a robot. You're like, yes, it's, exactly. it's, it's important. And I think that you're, you know, some actors, their school of thought is do exactly the same every time. But 
you start to not be present. And I think the whole point of being in live theater is being present and being alive. And it doesn't take a lot to change it when you've done something hundreds of times. It's literally like taking a breath in a different spot. Exactly. And, and also I found in, in a long run, um, there were many opportunities where I went on with understudies. Right. And so immediately you had somebody different doing something different. No one can do exactly what the other person does, even if you imitate it. Right. So, so already there's a like, pull up, here we go. Something's happening. What is it? And sometimes there were moments like with understudies where, you know, you have to kind of be like, you can totally, you can, I'll play with you. It's cool. But I, I just need you to be in the same spot that the other person is in. Right. So I don't turn around and start looking all over the stage for you. Right. <laughs> or things like that. But um, it, it's in a weird way. It's one of the things that can keep you on your toes in a long run is that it's inevitable that they're going to be new people on stage. Yeah. Every night with that's you. yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's madness. Yeah. At, at wicked they i don't think they do this anymore but they used to have something called universal swings where they had i'm not sure oh yeah two or three people two men and women who knew every single track yeah and then it's when they had so many companies of w- wicked going and uh and just when they were down a certain number of people because of injuries and vacations they would just be like hey we need you to go to denmark or right. whatever and and do the show for a week and there more than once I got on stage and someone would turn around and I would think, I have never seen that person in my life. <laughs> I'm on Broadway for paying customers right yeah. now. Yeah. And I haven't met you. Who yeah. are you? <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. And it's such a well-oiled machine that everybody just knows where to go. And especially something like Wicked that has a blueprint that's being put together and literally different countries all the yeah. time everyone knows what part of of the clock they make up and, and there are so many there are certain shows where the ensemble and the principals are so integrated in a yeah. way and wicked is one of the like leans a little more old-fashioned yeah in that the uh, uh the principals are a little bit se- especially alphabet are a little bit separate from the ensemble right so it was just it was such a funny thing to turn around and be like, huh, I, I don't, I don't know that person. I don't know their name. I don't know anything about that yeah. person. Yeah. No, Thanks. that, that, that happens more often than people realize. And we definitely had like uh, universal swings in Hamilton and Book of Mormon. I've been trying to pitch to the Hamilton folks to be the universal king and yes. uh, just, you know, hey, do you need me in, in this company? Just do the king for a week here or there. But just a we'll little see. pop in. Yeah. A little Mary Poppins. Right. I yes. think I was the person who who played the king for the longest. It's pro- I'm probably surpassed now. I've been gone for a year. So, um, but it's definitely one of the crazier aspects of being a part of a show that literally turns into, I don't want to say it, I hate saying it this way, but it's a corporation. I mean, obviously oh, it's no, a corporation, but it is. But it is. But and those shows are absolutely, it's, it's, it, and it's the only way that the show can go on when you're dealing with something that big in so many different places. Curious, I, I know you're supposed to be doing the interview here, but I'm gonna do it for a second. I am curious about what it was like for you to have so much offstage time. Yeah, what do you do with yourself? I know. Well, mostly I try to come up with a good answer to everyone who's going to ask me after the show, what do you do with all that time? Cause <laughs> like, I'd say like, Oh, I can't say that I've been playing candy crush for two hours. Like um, I decoupage and yeah. donate you, to the children. I mean, one, one thing that I did was this, I started a podcast. I was realizing that so much of the social media that Hamilton was participating in and myself was talking to young people and giving them a certain idea of what it was to be a theater performer. And I wanted to have longer conversations with the cast members and different people who I look up to in, in what, in our field and kind of have a more honest conversation. So I started, you know, getting guests together and, and editing, um, different interviews and I would do a lot of the interviews in my dressing room. So that was one, one project that came out of that. And then I would, you know, try to write, I wrote a a show that I did at 54 below and, um, you know, 
But a lot of times it was also because I was away from my husband. He was in Los Angeles and I was in New York for that right, first year. It was a lot of FaceTiming and and keeping in contact with him and, and other family members. So, And it's such a funny thing. Like if that's a like weird, ephemeral thing about live theater is that as you were doing that through the monitor, yeah. I'm sure you could hear like Javier or whoever yeah, it was yeah. just working their tails off. Yeah. And you're in your dressing room doing what, even like it, it's so it's always so odd to me that this sounds ridiculous, but the shows are just going on. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll have to drop something off for a friend at a stage door and I and, and I've walked into the stage door while the show's going on and just given it to the stage guy, you know, yeah. to the to the door guy. And then. You think about it, you could hear it and really like what it is, I don't know, 25 feet, 30 feet away from where you're standing. There's, there's magic happening. Yeah. There's magic happening for people who are really excited and paid good hard earned money to see it. Yeah. And it's right there, but I'm actually just going to turn around and walk back out the door yeah. and go about my evening. Doop do do. Here I go. Oh, it's magic. And it's magic. It's so, it's so wild to me. And I think that's what's something that maybe is so, um, uh, beautiful about being in the Broadway um, area. Yeah. Or, and uh, it's a little more spread out, but I feel this way on the West End in London as well. Mm -hmm. That in behind any given door, there's magic happening. Yeah. And, you know, if you're walking down 8th Avenue at about, on an eight o'clock night, let's say at about, you know, seven Oh five, seven fifteen, you start running into all these people who are running to get to their half hour. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, the and half hour like rush. This, yes. Like this thing is about to happen. This match is about to get struck. Yeah. And barring anything completely strange at whatever time they usually go up eight, eight, eight Oh eight or whatever it is. It's going to go. Yeah. The thing's going to go. I almost every time I see a Broadway show, I can't help but think, oh my God, they are doing Wicked right now at the Gershwin. They are doing Chicago mm -hmm. at the Ambassador. Like they are doing these shows. They are doing Phantom of the Opera right now. It. Like this is insane that, th that I'm in a theater and down the street, another whole group of yes. people are gathering around another show. And it's, it's, it's my it's favorite part like, of Broadway. I mean, it's, it's different, but obviously, but it's, it's sort of like if you've ever been anywhere, like to a, a when I went to, um, I did a concert, believe it or not, in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur. Um, uh, because wow. even in Kuala Lumpur, they want to hear Define Gravity. Absolutely. And, um, it is a Muslim country mm. and I'd never been in a completely Muslim country before. And so at different times you would hear the call to prayer. Right. It comes from the mosques. It's sort of, it's different, but it's sort of like that. Like a place's like, call. Yes. It's a call <laughs> to prayer. Wow. And there are some shows I've been in certain shows where you like huddle up and you do a circle before every show. Yeah. I've been in other shows where you just, meet you on stage i've been in shows that are set anywhere in between i mean at wicked i liked having my dressing room door open because i felt very isolated so i liked the opportunity to get to see as many people as i could yeah and i was stuck in the chair being painted oh so can i talk about that oh, with you for a second yeah. Just, i know that's like a number one question for an alphabet but <laughs> what in the world was that like I, I, I just, I, every time, every time I get ready for a show, I think, oh man, that Elphaba, she's painting on that green right now. Let and I just put on something. my lip gloss. No, that ain't nothing compared to Brian Darcy James when he did Shrek. Ooh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Cause we had this whole conversation about it before he got green. Cause I had already been green. Yeah. And, uh, and his was like, I, I, I always, after, once I learned what his was, I was like, I, I've got it easy. Yeah. His um, prosthetics, he had prosthetics and yeah, body suit. Yeah. This was a huge whole thing. And and I also felt very spoiled at Wicked to a certain degree because I have a green team who basically the Elphaba has to be in about half of their costume at half hour and you sit in the chair and then it starts. 
Wow. And they start painting you up. And then at about, I don't know the exact times that, but like quarter of, they would start pin curling. And then, um, and because you don't enter the show for 15 minutes or something like right. that, you know, you still, you've got time. Right. Um, but the Madame Morrible, uh, whose original makeup, I think the makeup has toned down on that character, uh-huh. but the original makeup was very kabuki hmm. for her. And she had to do it herself. Wow. Like when you're in cats, you do your own makeup. Right. And I'm like, I could never have been in cats. Never yeah. mind the fact that I probably couldn't have danced it. Yeah. I, I would have been the worst looking cat you've ever seen. I wonder like no artistic. How style. do they, how do they, what if somebody really is terrible at their makeup, but do they just have to like continue to teach them or is that part of the audition? I don't know. I want to know. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to ask some friends. I'm, I'll, I'll have get to back get to on. Them. Yeah. We'll have to get back I, to everyone. I really do want to know. But, um, so it takes about half an hour to get green. Uh-huh. And get your wig and everything. And the truth of it is, I felt during my time in the show far more attractive, frankly, uh-huh. with my green on hmm. than just during the day. Huh. Because somebody is doing your makeup. Right. Yes, it's green, but they're like, they are blending it so it all looks smooth and it all looks good. And then when you take it all off, you've always got it in your hair, you've always got it in your ears. If you have any sort of dry patch on your face or a blemish of any kind, mm. the green basically sucks into it. Mm. So then you go out the stage door and some sweet kid is like, oh, you have a little green on you. They think it's neat. Yeah. And you want to die. Right. You're be like, I took a shower. Yeah. I swear to you, I'm a clean human being. <laughs> but then when you go back in the next night and they do your face up again, you're like, oh, okay, fabulous. This back. is... Like it, it gets twisted because in the end you're like, this is what I look like. I look like this green. This is my best. Right. My day look <laughs> is trash. <laughs> well, it, I, I know what you're saying. It is, it's gorgeous. I mean, the makeup that every alphabet has on is beautiful. And yes, yeah. it's green, but it's so highly stylized. And Well, she also gets more as the show goes on. Right. Like at intermission, she gets more contouring. She gets lashes. Oh, Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. Oh. And, and she kisses a boy in the forest. You have to have lashes. Of course. Um, I mean, why wouldn't you? My goodness. But, um, so, yeah. I mean, it's like you have a prof- professional makeup person doing your face. Yeah. It just happens to be green. And you- I will say, I they, they're very big. They like you to take it off between shows on two show days. Oh, really? Um, mostly because she is contoured and touched up as the show goes. They mm-hmm. like to get back to one, like back to one, back to uh, like zero. Yeah. Um, also for sweat. Mm. Um, I am not a sweater. And when I started the show, I said to them, because they have moments in the show built in off stage for sweat touch-ups. Right. And I said to them from the go, oh, I don't actually, um, I, I'm, I don't sweat. And they were like, yeah, okay. And then we got to my, my first run through and I went to the spot where the touch up is and they yeah. went, Oh, I said, I'm serious. I don't, I don't sweat. Wow. That's my, my thing. And if you're not sweating in the beginning, like whenever I'm nervous, that's when I sweat the most. When I'm like the yes. first run through, everyone's like, you're never going to make it through without sweating out your mic and everything. <laughs> I'm like, no, just give me a few shows. I'll be better. Oh, but that's amazing. It down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one, uh, one day, for reasons I don't remember, I stayed inside and uh, left the green on and ordered food. And I went and they you know, called and they're like, Julia, food's here at the stage door for you. And I went in the big elevator and I go downstairs and I had on, I was fully green, but in like sweats with a do-rag on. <sighs> and the elevator opens and the delivery guy looks at me. He did not blink an eye. He looked at me and he was like, Hey, twelve fifty, uh, and I thought this guy delivers two shows. Yeah, on Broadway. Yeah, he has seen everybody. You know the the chorus girl special and everything. Yeah, yeah, no, and I mean you know it's New York, so they're just used to Times Square. Yep. <laughs> as long as yep. you're paying. <laughs> um. So you being a part of the Alphaba, um group the the wicked family the green girl sisterhood yes i love it you are a part of this this amazing concert 
circuit and you do concerts and I've done concerts with you and you're so good at it. I feel like it's such a specific skill. And obviously because you are such a fantastic singer, um, you're asked to do a lot of concerts. What is the difference between getting up on a stage and performing a concert or within a group of uh, doing a group of numbers, not from the same show and being on a Broadway stage? Do you think it's a different skill or do you enjoy it differently? I don't, I don't know that it's a different skill so much as it is a different uh, twig off of the same branch. Okay. Because the, I mean, the thing about when you're doing a show and you're playing a character in a show, you have whatever setup there is, be it short or very lengthy to get to a specific song. And everybody's seen it in that audience. You're all in agreement of like, this is the thing that led to the thing. Right. And, um, and you're a character, so you're able to hide behind that, whatever that character is. Right. When you're doing concerts and you're doing just songs sort of wildly out of context or what have you, um, you don't have all of the run up to the song. I mean, I've definitely seen people who do concerts, either solo shows or, concerts where there are a bunch of people in the concert, whatever, who some people are better at chatting on stage than others. Right. It's not everybody's wheelhouse. And, and look, um, there's a major, uh, pop superstar who, who just had a concert put out on Netflix. I'm not going to say who she is. I'm sure there's lots of fans listening, (laughs) Um, but she is not great at it. She's not great at talking. She's an amazing performer. I'm just going to say it. Taylor Swift. Pe- there people, you go. people, people are going to know who I'm talking about. Anyway, she's <laughs> look, and maybe, and maybe that's because she's not talking to Rory O'Malley, and that's okay. Like she's talking to her fans. But I'm kind of amazed at the most, the biggest production. She's singing. She's such a great songwriter, and there's uh-huh. dancing and all these elements. And then just the talking is a little like. Oh, well, that's that's the hardest part for you. You know what I mean? Like she's probably uh talking to a younger crowd than than me and maybe connecting in that way and good for her. But um that's it, it really is a skill to be able to connect the dots in what songs you're singing. It definitely is. And I mean, I did it many years that I was asked very last minute to cover for somebody else who gotten really ill to go doing this symphony show and they wanted two of us and um and uh, the person who called me, this was so. This will tell you how long ago this was, said, we would love two girls from Wicked. Can you think of a Glinda, like right away, who's available and whatever? And I was like, yes, I'm calling Megan Hilty. Yeah. And part of the reason, I mean, and they didn't know who she was. That's <laughs> how long ago this was. So, right. you know. But part of the reason I was like, yes, we're calling Megan Hilty is because I knew that she would be able to, her charm factor yeah. is like through the roof. Right. And... Which is not to say that the vocals of other people aren't through the roof. It's just that this particular pops, this kind of concert, part of what makes it, I think, far more enjoyable is when there's a connection with the audience beyond the songs. Yeah. Um, And I enjoy that. Like, that's that's a world I feel pretty confident in. Well, and it's, and you've thrived in it and you've seen the world through it, which, you know, really which says a lot about, about your ability. Been such a, a, a great, um, but it's, I also think it's, it's a, a matter of learning how to just, you can just be like, don't worry about trying to, um, uh, present something that you think somebody wants. Right. You know, but you also have to be smart enough to, like, obviously there's no, you don't curse. You don't. <laughs> right. Like, you've got to be able to control yourself, I think, um, in certain worlds. I mean, if you're, if you're doing your, a solo concert at 54 Below or something. Right. Whatever. Do your show. Do what, and say whatever you want to say. And you can curse up a storm. Who cares? But if you're doing a concert with the Boston Pops, you really... <laughs> it's it's a different thing. Right. Know your audience. Yes. Exactly. 
exactly. I'm totally feeding the dogs while we're talking. Oh, please, please uh, get those dogs fed. Um, let me let me switch topics here a little bit. I whenever I have uh, a, an actress on who has been around and knows knows the business as well as you do, I like to talk about the specifics of being a woman in the industry, the uh, difference in in body image, in um, age of finding uh, parts, and the specific. Um, difficulties or the parts of it that are, that, you know, you find to be better because you're a woman? Hmm. Wow. You know, it's funny because when I was younger, I don't think I thought twice about it. Right. Honestly, it didn't, it just didn't cross my mind. Um, there is, I think there's a lot, like you can go to college and you can learn about a lot of things. And then there are some things that simply cannot be taught. They just have to be experienced. And I think one of them is being a woman in this business, uh, perhaps also in this world, but since we're specifically talking about this business, um, and another one is aging. And it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> right. It really isn't. And I mean, I mean that on, on all sides. Like, it, it, look, I was never an ingenue. Not when I was 20. I, I just wasn't. I, I didn't come off that way. And, um, so for me, I was actually rather anticipatorily, is that a word? Sure. Um, okay. Uh, waiting to be older, to play older parts, more to more mature parts. And I remember like when I got cast as the baker's wife in into the woods, I was like, Ooh, there we go. Right. Um, and uh, I think it is probably very difficult for women who are real and true ingenues to start aging and everything starts shifting. And then who are you playing and what are you? And um, I get it. I, I recognize that it is most likely against what they're being taught in school but when I have uh, students ask me about type, like what type do you think I am? I always say, I don't believe in it. Huh. And I Why say is that? that? I just feel like you, it, it, it is a fine line between understanding when you're in college, you play all of these roles. You play the old lady and the 12 year old, you know, like both. Right. Because that's, well, they have to cast. Right. So then understanding when you come out, oh, no, they actually have a 12-year-old and an older lady. Yes. They don't need you. Yeah. They need you to be exactly what you are right now. Right. And and I feel like the tropes of like, but way, way back in the day, um, I don't know if you were, probably weren't around for this. Um, the composite headshot was a big thing. Oh yeah, like the different which, yeah exactly the different looks. these headshots with like three or four pictures on them. Right, and like often it would be like a man in sort of sexy pose, like you know neutral pose, and then a man same guy dressed as a cop. Right, a doctor. If it was a heavy set person. They were always dressed. At, they always had like. I'm like a, I'm a funny guy right. picture. I'm a funny chef or I'm a funny. And I'm like, hey, why, why does that have to be so? Right. But I think many things have changed mm. for the better. Yeah. To quote the song. Um, but I, I just feel like if you, if you get so um, tied into what your type may be, it's not going to give you the opening for when you walk into a new type. Right. That's, but you also need to understand that they're not going to need you to play a 12 year old. Right. 
Unless it's like a Celia Keenan-Bolger special. Yes. Yes. She has figured that out very but, well. Right. Which, frankly, only Celia Keenan-Bolger is allowed to do That's because right. she's better at it than any of, it, of the she's, other She's She's very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So before we end, like, do you have do you have anything that – I mean, a lot – you've already said a lot of this. It's just you've had a lot of great advice, for, especially for, for younger people getting into the business. But is there something that you would have told yourself – before you started in this business, if you could talk to that to that young actress now, well, the cynic in me, yeah. my answer would be run. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Think about it really hard. You can figure it out. Yeah. Something else. That said, um, because she would still say no. I definitely want to do this. She wouldn't listen to you. That's so. the truth. Yeah. That's the that's the God's honest truth. I mean, I feel like. Like when I teach, I will say, um, I, I often say, here's the thing. I know that most of you sitting in front of me believe that you are going to die if you are not in a Broadway show. And I'm here to tell you that you are going to die. But the, the cause of death on that certificate is not going to say, well, she was never Glinda. Right. It's not going to say that. Like It's just it, the... While, for example, doing a Broadway show has been great in my experience, it's also been very hard, very um, soul-sucking sometimes. Mm. It's hard as hell. Yeah. It's not I'm a soldier in Afghanistan hard. No. But it's hard in a very different way, mentally and physically. And I truly believe that if you have a song in your heart, no matter what, everybody needs music, not just people paying top dollar in the middle of an island. You know, like they need it everywhere. Yeah. They need it in community theaters and choirs and regional theaters and children need to be taught it around the world. Like it, the, it is a, um, it is a transportable gift. Right. And if, if the gods have, have sprinkled this gift on you, then I think when I was in college, I'm pretty sure that my brain was like, I just want to do musicals. So all I want to do are musicals. And now I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> if I can just make a living under the umbrella of, uh, of show business, like, in terms of like concerts, teaching, um, commercials, stage, television, like then I'm then I f I feel good, right? But I didn't understand the breadth of things that you could do. And one of my pet peeves is um, that old adage of well, those who can't do teach. Oh yeah. And I'm like, oh, you can suck it because it's it's so unfair and it's so um judgy. Yeah. And I think people become teachers for all kinds of reasons. A good portion of which is this is rough. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know that I want to do this any anymore in this way. Right. Anyone who sets out to be an actor, if you are um um, if you get to work, of course, it's fabulous. Right. There's nothing better. Most people don't get to work enough to satisfy the itch. So you've got to connect the dots in between the jobs and figure yeah. out new new ways to kind of. You need of to take judgment yourself. off of it. Yes. You know, there Absolutely. needs to be no judgment. For example, <laughs> that's so funny. Right now, I have a very old Law and Order on my television on mute, uh -huh. and I just looked up, and one of my wizards is up there. Nice. Right now. That's so funny. But, uh, you know, like, you have to take judgment off of it, and you have to take judgment off of anyone else. I remember a, a friend of mine, who I believe is also a friend of yours, several years ago, did a Viagra commercial. Uh-huh. And I was somewhere, and somebody was saying, well, why is he doing that Viagra commercial? Why would he do that? What do you mean? Why would he do that? 
It's cash money, you moron. Yeah. And it's not like somebody is looking at him and thinking, oh, you know, George Smith has erectile dysfunction in real life. Right. We all know it's it's make-believe. Right. And and that paid some cash money. Why not? Yeah, I think that there is, you're right, there's a lot of judgment passed on people who are able to continue their careers to connect the dots from one exciting project to the next. Maybe the Viagra commercial is not as exciting, but it's the reason that you get to do maybe that next artistically fulfilling project. Absolutely. And it does always make me um, giggle when when I'm asked or or when some statement to this end is made about like, it's so interesting the way you've, uh, you've chosen the projects that you've done. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, do you think I'm choosing this? Right. Do you think I'm the boss of this, this path? Yeah, this journey. There's plenty I have wanted to do that I did, was not asked to do. Right. You make the and, most of what you're given. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you, you're the best at p- possible. You take your talents to whatever project you're lucky enough to have put in front of you and get to use and you make the most of it and you're, you're grateful. And, you know, most of the time that's, that's the, that's the exciting part. It feels like it's the scary part because you never know what you're going to do next, but that's why we chose this as well is the, is the drama of what's going to happen in our careers. I mean, there's definitely like, I feel, I find that that part never gets easier. Yeah. The unknown. Sure. Um, in ways it gets harder. Yeah, some people handle it differently, or man, people manage that d- differently. And but it gets hard. I mean, like now you've got a child. Now right. you know there's things are thought of in a different way, and um, it. it I, a long time ago, I did a show, and uh, the guy who was the standby for the lead. Didn't the show was continuing on and moving to Broadway, and he didn't really want to do it. Mm. That wasn't his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also had two children, and you know a, a very specific home life that he had to bring into consideration. Right. And he was a grown man and decided to do the Broadway transfer, even though he didn't want to, because it was the responsible thing to do. Right. And. And I think the key is that all reasons are valid. Yeah. I think if you know why you said no to something, if you turn something down, stick to that gun and know why you did it. And also, if you take a job because, for example, you need the money or you need insurance weeks or something like that, like just be straight with yourself. Know why you're taking the job. And then you have to walk in there with the best attitude in the world. Because no one's interested in you coming in and then being kind of a Sour Patch Kid because you don't really want to be there, but you had to have the insurance weeks. Get over it. You said yes. Or you said no. Right. Like, and there's always a Debbie Downer in the group. Don't let it be you. Right. That's true. That is true. There was always one. And you've got to ha- like f- have your positivity kind of outshine. And there's always one, and and that Debbie Downer often has a really strong magnetic pull. Yeah, yeah. You know, you it, gotta it's, fight it. It's hard to steer clear of it sometimes. But. Well, you are someone who has just I, I've always looked up to. Um, I remember listening to my wild party recording <laughs> and just being in awe of your talent, and to get to know you over the years as a friend and as just a wonderful person has been such a treat for me. And I'm so grateful that you are on the podcast because you have so much experience and so much to share. And you were so honest as I knew you would be. So thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's beyond my pleasure. Thank you. And I'm so, I'm so glad that you do this for so many people who get to hear how it goes. Audition side job swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. 
Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. They'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.